Amen. As the choir comes down, we want to get our Bibles out and open to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. You can find that on page 1341 in the Pew Bible in front of you. My goodness, it seems like forever that I've been saying, get your Bibles out and open to the book of Galatians. And uh, this will be our last sermon in the book of Galatians. 26 weeks through the book of Galatians. It's actually taken us quite longer than that because uh, I've been going on mission trips and we've done some series in the middle, but 26 weeks through the book of Galatians. God has done such a great work in our church and our fellowship and many of you individually. We're so grateful and thankful for all that He's done as we have peered into the purity and the greatness of the gospel through the Apostle Paul's inspired words in Galatians. So this morning we will, God willing, finish the book of Galatians with our topic, Cautious Glory. Cautious Glory. Let's pray and ask God's help today as we study. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you this morning for the gospel in the book of Galatians. Thank you for how you have worked mightily in this place, Lord. Thank you for the indelible mark on many of the lives in this room that you have left. Thank you for the transformation that you have brought about in so many lives. And God, how you have opened our hearts and minds to the purity and the greatness and the freedom that comes in the gospel, Lord. We we thank you for uh, just this gift that you've given us, Lord. And now this morning as we Look at these closing remarks, Father God. We pray that your spirit would guide us once again, that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. And Lord God, that you would control my mouth, that I might say only that which you'd have me to say for your glory. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, to finish the book of Galatians, you know, we have to kind of just stop for a second and think about all that we've been through. Paul writes this book, this letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. Uh, they have been infiltrated by Judaizers who are sort of trying to uh, bring uh, back the Jewish customs and religious cultures back into the gospel. And so legalism has permeated these churches that were born in the freedom of the gospel. Paul's gone out. He's he's preached the gospel to Gentile believers. And for the very first time, those who were on the outside realize that God will accept them and then they can come to him in the freedom of of believing in Christ and that they can just through the faith in God find salvation. And so it's just, uh, it started so beautifully and so wonderfully, but it didn't take long for the churches to get off track and to be bewitched by these false teachers into believing that they had to do certain things to, uh, to be merited by their performance and rule following in order to be acceptable to God. And so Paul writes this amazing and wonderful letter that we have been so blessed to be able to study through. And as we get to this final chapter, uh, really we've had to slow down because it's common for the Apostle Paul, if you're reading any of his letters in the New Testament, that when he finishes, uh, oftentimes he'll finish a topic that he's talking about in a letter, but when he gets to the end, he'll bring everything together. He sort of uh, just makes the main point uh, focus in and, and all that he said throughout the letter sort of come to bear on everything that he said. And that's what's happening in Galatians 6. And so we, we've talked about walking in the Spirit for several weeks. And we've talked about how essential and important that is and how the fruit of the Spirit, God's character, wants to work through us. And uh, not in our own effort or striving, but as we yield to God, God will then work through us in, in our lives and that His uh, fruit will bear uh, witness to those around us. And so we've looked at that. Now we come to this final part. And we really need to begin back in verse 6 in order to set the context. The passage we looked at last week is very important to the context of what we'll complete by looking at today. So let's look beginning in verse 6. So we can get the context. The Bible says that let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows in the flesh will also of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows in the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Now we'll pause here for a second. What I want you to understand is that in these last 
uh, paragraphs, what Paul's doing is he's putting pieces together, almost like pieces of a puzzle. And we put these pieces together. It forms this beautiful tapestry. It makes this beautiful picture of what the gospel looks like. And so he starts by putting this first piece out there. And he says, now, now what you need to understand is you need to sow your seeds in the field where the word of God is taught to you. He's putting preeminence in your life where the gospel is taught to you. He's reminding us that we need to be taught the gospel over and over and over in a myriad of different ways because if we're not reminded continually of the gospel, we'll lose sight of who we are and who Christ is and what that makes us in Him. And so He's saying, sow your seeds first and foremost in the field where you are taught the Word of God. And then He's going to put the next piece over that, which is you labor in that field to make it good for other laborers. Look at verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And so the first piece is sow your seeds in the field where you're taught the gospel. The second piece is to labor in that field for good, to make it good for yourself and for other laborers. Now we move to verse 11 and we see the third piece of this picture, which is that those without the gospel only have the flesh to sow in. Look at verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that you may not suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. Now what Paul does here is he says, he it's, it's Paul taking the pen out of the scribe's hand as he is sort of, Uh, being led by the Holy Spirit and he's dictating what's being written and the scribe is writing down all of the words that we now have as the book of Galatians. Paul takes the pen out of the scribe's hand and begins to write in his own writing. He says, now I'm writing. Look at these big words. Look at this sloppy writing that I have, the apostle Paul saying, different from this scribe who's writing so neatly and so concisely. And he's writing. And And the other thing you have to remember is in the very beginning of the book of Galatians, we know that there was some 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 uh, controversy over Paul's authority. And there was a lot of people trying to either discredit Paul or to falsify documents and say that they were written by Paul when in fact they weren't. And so Paul takes the pen and he writes with his own hand to, to as to authenticate and to put his autograph on this amazing letter that he's written. And he says that those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh... They would compel you to be circumcised. See, you would, they would compel you to legalism. They would compel you to ritual. They would compel you to the way that it used to be in the old covenant, only that they may not suffer persecution, persecution for the cross of Christ. Why, the question is, is there persecution in the cross of Christ? Why are the legalists not wanting to uh, glory in anything but their own flesh as to avoid that persecution? You see, you have to understand that there's a relationship between this persecution that's in the cross and this lack of persecution that's in the in legalism, that's in performance, that's in man-centered religion. Why does man-centered performance-based religion not bring persecution? Because people are not upset when you make them look good, when you make them feel good, when you say you just need to do this and this and this and you'll be better and you'll feel good about yourself and you can, you don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to worry and everything will be okay. It makes people feel good about themselves and no one persecutes anyone who makes people feel good about themselves. And so all of the famous talk shows in the world, all of the famous writers and authors in the world, all of the people that other people flock to that want to buy their materials and, and worship at their feet are people who make people feel good about themselves. That's what culture likes. That's what the flesh wants. And that's what's going on here. But Paul is saying that there is, there is a, a reason. There's a reason that there's no persecution in this being circumcised or in this rule following because it makes people glory in their own flesh because that's the only field they have to sow in. You see, the cross in opposition to legalism, in opposition to human achievement, the cross says, you don't do anything. 
You, you didn't accomplish anything to bring about your salvation. You didn't have anything to do with that. It was all God, not you. It makes man small instead of man big. And when you make man small, people don't like that. People don't want to hear that. You see, nothing is going to infuriate works-based, achievement-centered, religious people like a message that says, in the cross, we do nothing. God does it all and gets all the credit. You see, if you put yourself in this situation, I was thinking about all the cultural ways that we get sucked into this. For example, if, if you, you're, you're a hardworking, law-abiding citizen for the most part. I mean, you know, you, you, you lie when you can get away with it. You speed every chance you get even when you can't get away with it. You know, you, you fudge here and there mostly with your spouse to stay out of trouble. But for the most part, you know, you're a pretty law-abiding, hard-working American citizen. You get up every day, you go to work, you work hard, you, you pay your taxes, not because you're uh, honorable, but because they take them out before you ever get the money. So that's kind of how that works. So, you know, you do that. And then someone comes along and they're, they, you know, you work and work and work and strive and strive and strive. And finally, you know, you, you reach the American dream and you move into the neighborhood you always wanted to move into and you got the house you always wanted to have and all the things that you've worked so hard to achieve. And then suddenly some guy moves into the house next to you. And so you, you're excited to go meet this new family that moved in next to you. You go over to meet him and you find out that, well, he was just born and inherited everything. And that's why he has everything that you have. He didn't have to work a day in his life. It just came to him easy. And you see, somehow you feel better than him. And somehow it annoys you that he got it for nothing. You see, because if you're built up in self-righteousness, if you are puffed up with all that you've accomplished and all that you've done, nothing is going to infuriate you more than people who get what you have for nothing. In other words, it's, it's not that bad. To, to, for people to get things for nothing as long as it keeps them down. But if they, if they get something for nothing and they're where we are and we had to work to get there and they get there for nothing, well, we don't like that because it, it demeans our accomplishment. So now look at this in a spiritual sense. Suddenly Paul shows up in this works-based, legalistic, man-centered environment where people have achieved all of these things and puffed themselves up and made themselves righteous and all these, you know, all these religious leaders think so highly of themselves and he comes along and says to these Gentile dirtbags that they can just have faith in God and be equal with them in every way, shape, or form. And they hate that. They don't like it at all. And so there's persecution in that. You see, the cross exposes everything that we want to hide. Don't you see that? That if, if the cross doesn't expose all of your secrets, then you don't understand the cross. That your life hasn't intersected with the cross. Because when you come to the cross, what you're saying is, is that I need a savior. And the reason I need a savior is because I'm a sinner. And specifically, I've sinned in all of these ways and I've made all of these mistakes and done all of these things going about so much of my life the wrong way. And everywhere I go, when I wake up and go to work on Monday morning, when I'm walking through the mall shopping, when I'm with friends and family during the holidays, I'm trying to pretend like everything's okay and that I've got everything together and that I'm doing good and I'm fine. But the cross... It's only for sinners. It's only for people who are filled with mistakes and regrets and things that they don't want other people to know. And so the cross pulls sort of the the veil back, if you will, and, and, and peers into what we don't want to talk about or address or let people know or see about us. You see, it dredges to the surface everything we want to keep buried. That's what the cross does. That's what happens when your life intersects with the cross. And your spiritual maturity can in a nutshell be measured by your willingness to embrace all the filthiness of your life that drew you to the cross. 
You see, if I talk to somebody who uh, is professing to be a Christian, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they're very reluctant to discuss the mistakes of their past, and they're they're very uh, you know they they're very uh, they just want to keep all of their you know all of the things that that led them. So I'll ask a question like, "Well, tell me about how you became a Christian." And somewhere in that story, it ought to be you know all the junk ought to start coming out because that's what that's what brought you to where you are. But if it's just no, you know I. I just, uh, you know, was a was a pretty good person and did a lot of good things and everything was pretty normal for me and nothing really. Well, then why did you need the cross? Well, what was the point of all that? I thought you were drowning and needed a Savior. I thought that's what Savior is. In other words, if you're not dying, well, then you don't need a Savior. If you're okay, then what would be the point? See, that's what the cross does. Remember back in Galatians 3, I don't know how many months ago that was. Remember that in uh, verse 10? Here's what the the Bible says. For as many of you uh, are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That is offensive. Do you understand that? That the cross says you're under a curse. You are under the curse of hopelessly drowning under the, the, the demands of the law that you can never meet, that you can never live a life, that you cannot obey all the law. You can't live a perfect life. Therefore, you're cursed under that law. That's what the cross is screaming. It throws all of us under the bus together. That's what the cross does. Like when someone says to you, yeah, well, so-and-so threw me under the bus. Well, what that means is, is that you're talking to someone and I know something about you that the person the two of us are talking to doesn't know about you and then I expose what I know about you to them and you're looking like, you just threw me under the bus. You just let my secret out. I mean, what, what was that all about? The cross throws us all under the bus. All of, the, all of us at the same time. Every single person who is Christ gets hurled under the bus. It puts us all on the same level. Guess which level that is? The bottom level. That's the offense of the cross. That's the whole point. That's why legalists can't stand the gospel of grace. Because their whole self-worth is based on their ability to follow rules. And if anyone's getting anything for free and going to be considered equal with them, they're not going to stand for it. They are not going to stand for it. And so anyone who is proud of their human achievement or enslaved to their reputation or to what other people think about them or they're wrapped up in some uh, wacko form of entitlement or the myth of fairness, that that's just simply not fair. Well, they're going to hate, hate, hate and persecute anyone who declares salvation by grace alone through faith alone based on Christ's death on the cross alone. They're going to hate it. And so that's what Paul's talking about. So he stacks this piece on that, that those without the gospel can only sow in the flesh. That's all they can sow in. Look at verse 13. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. You see how, how this is so twisted that not only do, do, are they so wrapped up in this that they they follow their, the, the laws for themselves, thinking that it makes them more righteous. And Paul just calls them out and says, but they're not, but they think they are. But then they want you to do what they're doing so that it makes the, it, it, it justifies what they're doing. And not only that, they can take credit for what you're doing because they got you to do it, which is another classic illustration of legalism. You go into a, a, a church that's permeated with legalism and you've got all these people that are, that are trying to tell you what you need to be doing. Why are they doing that? In other words, have you ever just stopped to think, why, why, do you, why don't you just worry about yourself? What are you worried about me for? They can't help it. You see, because their self-worth and justification is built on a platform of all of their rule following. And so then if you don't follow the rules, it could be in some way that you're getting away with something. 
See, like, you can't sit in their church, sing the same songs that they sing, have the same Savior that they have, read the same Bible that they do, but they have to keep up with all these rules, which, by the way, is why they're so grumpy. That's why they got to keep up with all these rules. And then you're going to just come in here on grace alone and do everything they do and everything's going to be the same? Well, no, they're going to be furious about that. And so they want to take glory. They want to boast in not only in themselves, but in you. They want to boast in you being a, 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 a legalist and following all these things that they do. And so it's, it's just twisted. So that's the first three pieces. Then we come to the centerpiece, which is piece four, which is at the cross. Christ purchased everything for those who are his. This is the centerpiece, the cornerstone of this whole entire closing passage is verse 14, where the Bible says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul just utterly makes a U-turn. He, he exposes the error of the legalists and their man-centered way of puffing themselves up and making themselves look good. And then he just drops this atom bomb of gospel right into the middle of it and says, God forbid, may it never be that I should boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. To which I would say, wow, do we do that? Do you do that? Do I do that? I mean, we, we better, we better, uh, we better answer some questions here. We better look into this a little further. We better make sure that we, we have this straight because Paul's making a pretty bold statement here. You see, we already know from everything that, that, that Galatians has taught us. In other words, that we can, we can please God. How do we please God? Not by our works, not by our performance, not by the things that we do, but by the things that God does in us. So when we walk in the Spirit, when we let God live through us, we're, we live a life pleasing unto Him and glorifying Him as His character and nature comes through us and impacts our lives and those around us. He's glorified in that. And so we know that to be true. And so we sort of have that stacked up over the top of this uh, cornerstone. But what does he mean only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? The first thing that anyone who's familiar with the New Testament in particular would think of is, now wait a minute, Paul, hold on. Because you're always talking about boasting in things. In other words, not just in a negative way. Paul's always talking about the things he's boasting in. He's all the time talking about in the book of Romans that he's, he's boasting in the glory of God. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 4. So we ourselves, Paul says, boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. You see, Paul so loved the people at Thessalonica. He was so enthralled with their faith and the way that they served God. And he, he writes the letter of 2 Thessalonians and he says, we boast about you all the time. Well, wait a second, Paul. You are saying that the only thing you're to boast in is the cross of Christ. And you're saying over here that you're boasting in the people in Thessalonica. You're boasting in their obedience. You're boasting in this church. So that's different. But that's not Paul's favorite thing to say that he boasts in. What does he say more than anything else all through First and Second uh, Corinthians? He's talking about boasting in his infirmities, sufferings. Very good. That's exactly what he says over and over and over. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. The Apostle Paul makes a big deal about boasting in his infirmities, in his trials, in his weaknesses, in his sufferings, in all of the things that in his difficulties. Now, is he contradicting himself? Is he is, he, is this double speak in some way? Is the Apostle Paul confused? Did he forget what he's already said? Is he doubling up somehow? Has the Bible got some error or contradiction in it? Well, of course it doesn't. So what does this mean? How can you boast in the glory of the churches at Thessalonica? And how can you boast in his infirmities and at the same time only boast in the cross of Christ? How can you do that? Well, let me explain it to you. Let's, we'll look at uh, these verses. Will come. We'll look at Romans chapter 5 for you to see this. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, 
having been justified by faith, so having been declared righteous, made right before God by faith alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3. And not only that, what will you mean there's more? I mean, Paul says now, you've been made right with God. All of your, you're declared not guilty. All your sin has been forgiven by, through faith alone. You're now at peace with God. You once were at war with God. Now you're at peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you have access by faith into, into the grace in which you stand. And he says, but there's more. There's more. Verse three. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. What? Now, this is boasting in your infirmities that that you glory in these tribulations. And you know that tribulation is bringing about something good. Perseverance, perseverance, building your character. Character is foundational to hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Now, what does that have to do with the cross of Christ? What does the very next verse say? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The reason that all of this is true in Romans 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 is because of Romans 5, 6. The reason you can say all these things is because of the cross of Christ. That when a person has come face to face with the cross... When in his weakness, he's cast himself on the mercy and grace of God at the cross, found the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, then everything about his life has been changed. And then whatever a believer glories in is in the cross of Christ. That a person in the cross of Christ can't glory in anything that's not the cross of Christ. You understand? In other words, the reason that he can say in Romans 5 that he's been justified and that he has access to the grace of God, but yet he's, he glories in tribulation, in trials, in struggles, in infirmities. That God's using all those things together is because in due time Christ died for the ungodly. That's why that's true. So in other words, maybe you could say it this way. That he died to purchase everything good for me. Jesus died to purchase everything good for me. As well as everything that will be used for my good. Now, what you have to do is you have to get your heart around this statement. That at the cross, see the first part's the easy part. At the, at the cross, Christ died to purchase everything good for me. You see, we don't have a problem with the concept that every good and perfect gift is from above. So long as good and perfect goes according to our definition. Right? As long as what you mean by good and perfect is what I mean by good and perfect. Right? Because, see, some of you mean by good and perfect a lot of things that, that I don't think are good and perfect. And vice versa. See, to me, good and perfect is black licorice. To which I always get a moment. But see, I don't have to share it. So that's good and perfect because you don't like it. You can have all the tomatoes you want. Okay? You can have them all. And you can think they're good and perfect all you want. But they're never a gift in my life. I hate them. So we don't mind that every good and perfect gift is from above. So long as it comes in the form of what I think is good and perfect. But Christ died to give us everything that's good in our life, to purchase everything good in us. But not only that, that's the, that's only the first part, as well as everything that will be used for my good. In other words, he died to purchase all the things, all the tribulations that are going to lead to perseverance, that are going to lead to character, that are going to lead to hope. All those things that are going to be used in my life for good. Because if I'm a Christian... If I've come, if I've reckoned my life to the cross, then what things, what things fall under that category of been purchased by God? Well, now, I don't know. What does the Bible say? Does not the Bible say in Romans chapter 8, what things, what things work together for good? All things, all things work together for good. For who? Not for those outside 
the cross, not for those who mock the cross, not for those who sow to the flesh. No, no. For those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. That at the cross, everything was purchased that is good and that will be used for my good, which is what? Which is everything. Which means that when you become a Christian, you can glory in whatever it is that's in your life that God is using that because of the cross. In other words, you would be an insane person. You would be an insane person if you were boasting in some trial. If you were boasting in some horrible thing that happened to you. If you were boasting in the fact that you got cancer. If you were boasting in the fact that you had wayward children. If you were boasting in the fact that you lost your job. If you were boasting in the fact that you totaled your car. That someone you loved. You'd be insane to boast in those things. But not if you're a Christian. Okay, let's try this over again. You see, this is where the the gospel just went flat on you right there. You just, what happened? Don't act shocked by this. Not if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian and you get diagnosed with cancer, what does the Bible say that's true about that cancer? That that cancer is going to work for good. That God intends to use that cancer. That listen, that cancer is not your end. Because of what? Because of the cross. Because of the cross, that cancer doesn't define you. That cancer doesn't mean the end of you. That because of the cross, if you lose your job, it's not over because of the cross. It's not over. That if you lose your child, it's not over. If you lose your spouse, it's not over. Because of what? Because of the cross. So you're not necessarily glad that it happened, but you can boast in the cross in that, well, you know what? This won't be my end. The doctor comes in and says, well, Tony, I I got some bad news for you. There's nothing more we can do. You've got a couple weeks to live. That's bad news, I guess. Is it bad news? Well, maybe not. Well, I mean, sure, it's bad. It's sad. But at the same time, but it's not the end. You see, because of the cross, there's more to me than that then I'm not just defined to this realm. I'm not just defined by my circumstances in this life. That the cross brings to bear all of the things that are going on in my life. The, the, the centerpiece of this is that, so my boasting is only in the cross. That's all my boasting is. That you see, if, if, I, if anything good happens to me, it's in the cross. You see, if, if I get in a, if, if something, uh, uh, if, if my house burns down, but, my, but all my family is spared, well then, did I deserve that for my family to be spared? Well, no. By the grace of God, all my family's okay. But my house burned down, but okay. But my treasure is not hidden on earth. It's stored up in heaven. That, yes, is it going to be hard? Sure. Is it going to be tough? But God's going to get me through it. He's going to use it for my good. In other words, that's what the Bible says. That's not what my flesh wants to think, but that's what the Scripture says. So because of the cross, it's by the grace of God. See, if it goes well for me, it's the grace of God. If it goes bad for me, it's by the grace of God. The cross. Don't you see the cross is the, it's the game changer. That's why it brings such persecution. That's why some of you don't like this message. You don't like it. You're just in your spirit. You're just warring against what I'm saying. Because you, you, you just find it offensive. You just find it a little, uh, uh, you know, it's just, a, it's a little too hard for you to wrap your head around. Right, because you need to reconcile yourself to the cross. You need to understand that the cross, the cross says to you, hey, you don't have it together. Nope, you don't have it together. That's what the cross says. You're a mess. That's what the cross says. You've blown it. You've wrecked it. But the cross is here to set it all right. And so whatever happens from here forward, because of the cross, you can, you can take joy and it's not going to be your end. That you're not at the mercy any longer of the things of this world. Because of the cross. Piece number five in the, in the picture. Piece number five, verse 14. This piece says only the gospel can make us dead and alive. Look at verse 14, the first part. Or he goes on to say, uh, So I for, uh, God forbid that I should boast in anything but the cross by whom the world has been crucified to me 
and I to the world. Now, what do you mean? Well, exactly what I just got done ranting about. That the world has been crucified to you and you to the world. That you are no longer, you are no longer under the weight of the world's expectations. You're no longer under the weight of what the, the world says ought to be or not be. The, the weight of what the world's uh, thoughts about you are or expectations of you are. You're not under that weight anymore. It's been crucified to you. You, you, it's, it's, oh, because at the cross, now God, God takes a, uh, He takes authority over all that. He takes responsibility for all that. He's working through all that. What did, what did we say back in, uh, chapter two of Galatians, verse 20? Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So let's just think about this. Look up there at that verse for a second. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So what Paul's saying is I'm dead. So what Paul's saying is is that that when Jesus died on the cross, everyone who is his died on the cross with him. See, at the cross, you die. Just like Jesus dies. The cross is a mechanism of death. It's an instrument of Death. And so when you come to the cross, you die. We all die at the cross. Jesus died at the cross. You die at the cross. I die at the cross. But that's not the end of the story. So he says, it's no longer I who live. Why? Because, well, I died at the cross. But Christ lives in me. See, that's so what happened? He died at the cross, but then what? He rose up again, didn't he? He rose to life. And so you died at the cross, but then you were resurrected with him in life too. So now you live. So you were dead, but now, and then you live, but Christ lives in me. And so now it creates this opportunity for this new life in the spirit in which I live in the flesh. I've got flesh and bones. I'm still in this tent that God put me in when I was born on this earth. But I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where did that happen? At the cross. You see, so you die at the cross, but you 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 die the death with Christ, but you're raised with him in life. So the old you is dead and the new you now lives. The new you who can sow in the spirit, who can sow in the field of the spirit. Look at verse 15. He'll further uh, help us understand this. Verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. You see, Paul's saying, listen, all of this legalism, all of this rule following, all of this nonsense, it doesn't amount to anything. It's all worthless. It's all just filthy rags. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much applause you get from the world. It doesn't matter how great you think you are. It doesn't matter how devoted you are to it. None of that matters. It's all just filthy rags. It's all just worthless. It's all useless. The only thing that matters is a new creation. That's all that matters. So what Paul's saying is to you and me this morning is that the old us is dead, died, done, crucified. The new us has been raised to life in Christ at the cross that we might boast in everything because we're now a new creation, which means the old stuff is gone. We're a new creation. Now you think, well, well, I got that. I know that. Well, then good. Why don't you live in that? Just live in that for a second. You know what that looks like? That looks like waking up and coming to church this morning and realizing that, my goodness, I have messed this up so bad. I mean, I've been married a whole bunch of times. I've had an abortion. I mean, my younger years are so horrific that most of it I've just blocked out of my mind. Things have been done to me that I still have repressed and don't even want to know what they are. I've failed in so many ways. I've taken advantage of people. I have lied and cheated and stolen. I have 
sold my soul to to popularity and pressure a thousand times over. Maybe right now, maybe right now, you're, you're in the midst of just this avalanche of shame and guilt about what's going on right now in your life. That even this morning, it, it was all you could do to just drag yourself up and out of bed this morning to come to church. Because what you really want to do is just crawl under a rock and just hide in the darkness and just medicate away all the things you don't want to think about. You don't want to think about the disaster that you are. Well, I got news for you. You're a new creation. You see, that's what the cross does. The cross says, we're not, we're not having a discussion about what you used to be anymore. We're not, we can have that discussion, but it's not condemning. It doesn't squish you down. It doesn't make you feel horrible. It doesn't make you feel unworthy. It doesn't make you feel, because the cross makes you new. You see, you're not, what are you, you have nothing to be ashamed of. That's dead. You're alive. That's all been dealt with. It's over and done. You see, it's under the blood. It's happened. Yes. It's part of my testimony. Yes. But why are you dragging it in here this morning? And what happens? You feel so unworthy. You, you don't, you know, so, so then whatever God reveals to you that you need to, to be obedient to Him in, you, you just find it impossible. I mean, these, these last months and walking through Galatians chapter 5 have nearly killed some of you. And they've nearly killed you. I can see the misery on your face. You know why? Because you know that God's called you to, to, to be more. You know He's called you to serve. You know He's called you to be a part. But you feel so unworthy. You feel so less than, so dirty, such a failure. So all the, and so you can't drag yourself up to do anything because, and you, though you know God's called you to do it, you just can't make yourself do it because you've messed it up so bad. And what you're failing to understand is that, wait a second. All the people that think they've got it so together avail nothing. It's useless information. It's not going to matter at all. It's just the cross. You're a new creation. You see, that's the thing. You can come straggling in this morning in whatever circumstance and situation you're in the middle of, and you can crawl up to the cross and find yourself at the exact same level that Pastor Tony's at. Isn't that beautiful? The exact same level as everybody around you. That all of this heaping condemnation and all of this, this, uh, just uh, crippling guilt and the, the desire for just to, to, to be in darkness and to run and hide, it's all just spiritual warfare. With, it's all just a big farce. It doesn't have authority over you at the cross. The only way you're still under all that is if you're still trying to work your way out in your own power and strength. If you've come to the cross, that's all been dealt with. You're new. You're new. You see, and when you're new at the cross, you, you, morality it, it cannot be used as a source of pride at the cross. Because, see, you wouldn't be at the cross if you had morality. So you can't come to the cross and then glorifying yourself at the cross because that's to deny the cross. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're here this morning, hey, the train wreck in you died if you're a Christian. It's dead. It's gone. It's over. And now you're new at the cross. And all that's behind you. And yeah, it's true and it's part of your testimony, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't haunt you and live over you because you're new. That's what the cross is. So he goes on. Look at verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule. Well, what what, what rule? I thought we were talking about not walking the rules. Well, we are. But this rule, what's the rule? The rule he just said. That the only thing that counts is being a new creation. That's the rule. So what happens when you start walking according to this rule? The rule that all that matters is I'm a new creation. Oh. What happens? Things start to change. 
You start walking in the Spirit. You start realizing that, wait a second, this is what, what, what's the beauty of being a Christian. This is what the cross means in my life. So according to this rule, what happens? Peace. Well, so the first thing that Paul says when you walk according to this rule that only a new creation counts, peace. Peace. Why is there peace? Because why wouldn't there be peace? It's all been dealt with. You're at peace now. You're not at war. You're, the, 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 the sin of your, your past, the sin of your present no longer has dominion over you. You see, there's peace in who you are at God. Peace and mercy, the Bible says. Do you know that every other place in the entire Scripture is mercy first, peace second? The only place in the Bible that peace precedes mercy is Galatians 6. It's the only place. Which fascinates me. Why? Because normally what we're talking about is the mercy of God applied to your life will bring about peace. But in this situation, it's different. In this situation, Paul's talking about a specific uh, uh, illustration, a specific truth about a person who's walking as a new creation. In that way, peace precedes mercy. That walking as a new creation just breeds the peace of God in you and mercy upon you. And what, what does this mean, mercy? Well, you can think of the word mercy as a, a, good, uh, a good synonym to that would be compassion. And there's a component to this word uh, mercy that it's to not dwell on that which is past, to not dwell on that which is maybe true, but it's like to change the conversation, to change the parameters of our relationship. It's like God saying that when you walk as a new creation, you're at peace with me. And, and I don't, I don't want to talk about all that other stuff anymore. I don't, my goal as your Lord and Savior is not to remind you constantly of all the things that, hmm. you see, that was our relationship prior to you coming to the cross. See, before you came to the cross, you were at enmity with me, God says. And so my grace and mercy was poured out on your life by trying to get you to, to recognize and to own and realize the disaster that you are. But when you come to the cross, that whole dynamic, that whole relationship changes. You're a new creation now. We don't talk, we're not talking about that anymore. Now we're talking about this new covenant, this new, this new relationship that we exist in, whereby you now live in the promises of God for you. And so this mercy is upon you. Remember when we were talking a few minutes ago about Romans chapter 5? Remember how that started in verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith? We have peace. We have peace. Why do we have peace? We have peace because we're, we're, we've, we've been justified. We've been made right with God. So we're at peace. We're not warring anymore. And God doesn't want to talk about all that stuff anymore. And then we get to verse 17. So from now on, let no one trouble, I let no one trouble me. For I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. In other words, the Apostle Paul is simply reminding his readers... That, you know, you, you've seen me. You, you know my physical condition. You know that I bear the marks of the persecution that I have uh, faced. That everywhere I go, that I've been shipwrecked and beaten and flogged and imprisoned and everything under the sun. And that, yeah, I have the marks of Christ upon me. But they haven't stopped me. They haven't slowed me down. They haven't changed the, they haven't changed the good news that I'm a new creation. You see, I'm new. And so, so I, I know that the cross of Christ now gives me something to boast in. So I can boast when I'm in jail. See, I can boast when I'm getting beaten. Why? Because God said that He's going to use all things together for good. To which we, in a comfort and security-driven culture, think, I don't know. I just don't know. Which may be why there's so many lost people in so many churches in the United States because the gospel is just too foreign for them. So they have to flock to places where they hear funny stories and a couple little points and everybody sings kumbaya and goes home. You see, the gospel is offensive to your flesh. And Paul says, 
No, even if I'm shipwrecked, even if I'm beaten, even if I'm imprisoned, whatever it is, I bear the marks of that, but it's in the cross. I boast in the cross. Because of the cross, it's not my end. But you see, if, if I depart from if my life ends today, it's a win for me. It's a win if I get to stay here and glorify God in my suffering. It's a win. If I depart from here, it's a win because of the cross. So you say to yourself, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just not sure that I see that as a win. Okay, we'll try this. Try just looking around every time you walk into this place. You see, there's examples that come in here every time we have service, aren't there? You see, when you, when you came in this morning, you know, if you, if, you, if you sit over here, then you know you, you're, you're accustomed to sitting by Miss Paulette. So you, you know her battle with cancer. And you see how here she is, week after week after week. Is it hard? Yes. Is it horrible? Yes. Does she wish it wasn't there? Yes. But it won't be her end. It's not her end. And here's what I say. I say that every time I see her walk in, I see her boasting in the cross. She's walking in saying, you know what? Cancer doesn't define me. It doesn't beat me. It doesn't stop me. Because of the cross of Christ, I'm here. See, every time I look back there and I see Miss Dora sitting there. I know I used to always tease Miss Doris because I, I, I would always tell her, I think when she wakes up in the morning, her hair is perfectly fixed and her makeup is perfect and her clothes are perfect. Like I told her one time I was going to sit and watch her check the mail or get the paper in the morning because I just wanted to see what she really looks like. <laughs> the first time I went and visited her in the hospital, I walked in the room. I, of course, I didn't tell her I was coming because I knew what would happen. So I walked in the room and she went, ah! And she still looked beautiful. You see, I wish that I could make her neck be straight. I wish that I could fix that. I wish that she didn't have that brace on her back. But every time I see her, I see her boasting in the cross. What she's saying is that my infirmities are not my end. That I am a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that that doesn't stop me from being that. That no physical infirmity can stop me from being who I am because of the cross of Christ. And so that if I have to, if I have to drag myself in here, if no matter how sick I feel, or, or it's not even about being here. It's about just picking up the Bible and, and spending time with God and glorifying Him and in your infirmities. And everywhere you go, you go as an ambassador of Christ. And in your pain and suffering, you see what God doesn't need is He doesn't need an army of ambassadors that all is good and all is well in their life. That's what he, that would be the worst evangelistic tool in the history of the world. If all of us roamed around the earth spreading the gospel because our life was so great and perfect that we didn't have any problems or any infirmities or any sicknesses or any challenges, well, then the rest of the world would hate us and never listen to us. We wouldn't have any credibility. But it's when we walk where they walk. You see, it's when we're in the hospital room next to them. It's when we're in the doctor's office next to them. It's when we're taking chemo next to them. It's when they're, the machines are hooked to us. It's when we're standing in the funeral parlor next to them. When we're picking out caskets next to them. That's where the, the cross is boasted in. You see, it's in all of the, it's all of the junk that we have to face. It's in the hard weeks that we have to endure. It's in all the wrong things that happen. They don't define you. They're not your end. 
The cross says that Jesus Christ died to purchase every good thing in your life and everything that would be used for your good. And so if your neck won't come straight, or if you're on chemotherapy, or if you're on dialysis, or if you're paralyzed, or if you're in a funeral home, or if whatever, if it is, whatever it is, Jesus Christ died so that that could come to bear on your life. So you can boast in it. You can boast in the cross. You can boast in the fact that I'm His. And no matter what happens, nothing can separate me. Isn't that what we sang? Nothing can separate me. And so listen. You boast in the cross. In the ICU. You boast in the cross. As you kneel on the side of the bed with your spouse and weep for your wayward children, you boast in the cross. You say, if it wasn't for the cross, I couldn't even pray to you. I wouldn't even know you. We wouldn't even have a relationship. I wouldn't even know how to help my children. I wouldn't even know where to begin. But because of the cross, I can come boldly into your presence and I can seek your face and know you care and I know you hear me. And it may not change and I don't know where my kid is. I don't know where my daughter is. I don't know where my son is. That everything's not right. Everything's not fixed. Everything's not the way I want it to be. But because of the cross, it's not the end. Don't you see? That's the gospel. The gospel isn't make it easy. The gospel is it's all purchased by Jesus if I am His. All of it. All of it. Think about it. Why? Why is it so uneven? Why are there some of you who just seem to bear so much more than others? I don't know. But what purpose does it serve? That you have been entrusted as His child to suffer and bear the marks of His cross upon you. That every single time you you look at your child who needs your constant care, you think Jesus died to redeem that. He died to redeem that. That every single time It's yet another horrible day. And everything seems like it's working against you. You can boast in the cross. That you're not defined by those things. And some of you have the opportunity to bear the great weight of the load that you've been given that's different from other people. But here's the thing you have to stay focused on. Is that it's simply, it's a greater opportunity for you to boast in the cross. Because it's anyone can boast in the ease. Anyone can boast in the coasting. But when you boast in the cancer and you boast in the suffering and you boast in the waywardness and you boast in the broken heart, that you boast that it's not your end, it causes the world to stop and scratch their head and look at you. And here's what you got to understand. You will give account one day. As will the believer who has a light load in your opinion. And what will they say? I don't know. But what will you say? You'll stand before God and you'll give account for all those things done in the body that endure. All the boasting you did in the cross. Where, where, do, where, where do you think those crowns come from? You think those crowns are doled out to those who coasted? Do you think there's a crown of coasting? Do you think there's a, a crown of casual crown? Is there an ease crown? Is there a, is there a, a, a light crown? No, there's a heavy crown. There's a hard crown. There's a crown of righteousness and suffering. There's a crown of endurance and perseverance. That's what those crowns are. In other words, you at that moment, you won't be wondering why it was the way it was at that moment. You'll understand fully. You'll understand fully. And you know what? It will be worth every second of it. Every second.
and you'll be ushered into the presence of your Lord. And you'll be with him forever. You'll delight in his beauty. You'll be reminded for all of eternity how great the cross was. So don't today, don't let yourself get bewitched into somehow forgetting the supremacy of the cross of Christ and what it means. If you're a Christian this morning, welcome to the family of the once broken, degenerate, dysfunctional, scumbag losers. You're now a new creation. So you don't need to drag in anymore. You don't need to, you don't need to, to carry around this luggage filled with all the, the junk. Listen. Whatever you did before the cross has no bearing on post cross. That has no bearing. You get the same salvation as anybody else who gets salvation. It's all grace. It's all mercy. That's what I mean. We're all level at the low level. We're all level, but we're all there. Together. No human achievement. So you can just leave all that shame and all that crippling guilt. Stop fearing man. Stop fearing and trying to live to protect your reputation. That's that's legalism. Live as a new creation. Boast only in the cross. Whatever you boast in, it's because of the cross. So when I cry with you or you cry with me, we'll cry together and then we'll boast in the cross together. No matter what it is, let's stand, bow our heads.